Thank you for joining us. In today's world, we as grandparents and great-grandparents play major roles in the lives of our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. The question is, what are we doing to influence their lives? Much is said about the financial, healthcare, and elder care impact upon the world. Yet very little is said about the priority of establishing a solid spiritual legacy to be passed down from generation to generation and leave it to God to take care of the rest. Listen with Bible, pen, and paper handy as Pastor Rander ministers to us. You got to be quiet, still, listen to hear God speak to you. We often miss God because he is not revealing himself in the big things in a big majestic way. He didn't come through the fire and the wind and the earthquake. That's big. That's big, big. That's that's sensational. I heard God in an earthquake. Wow. The wind blew hard and I heard God. Wow. Fire was ablaze and God spoke through the fire. Sensationalism. That's what people look for today. They prefer sensationalism over the word of God and never get healed. Do not be guilty of missing God in the small things of life. You need to write that down. Do not be guilty of missing God in the small things of life. You're looking for something big. And sometimes some people say, I got to have a big house. I want a big car. I got to have a big church. I got to have a big salary. I I want a big reputation. I want a big position. I want big popularity. Bigger does not necessarily mean better. Do not be guilty of missing God in the small things of life. As a matter of fact, the word of God says, don't despise small beginnings. Oh, I remember back in 1988 in that little one room YMCA building, that little one room, small room over on New Braunfels and uh, Iowa right there. We started as a church with a hand, just a smidgen of a handful of members we didn't even have an offering bag, no offering plate. My, my hat had to be used as an offering plate because we had nothing but God, prayer, and each other. We had no idea that 32 years later we'll be sitting in an 80,000 square foot facility on a broad streak of 1604 prime location on 34 acres. We didn't have that. If God had unveiled that way back then, I'd have passed out. It took time. And we did not despise small beginnings. Listen, little becomes much when God is in it. The scripture says, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. Beloved, a gentle whisper from God is greater than the wind. A gentle whisper from God is greater than an earthquake. A gentle whisper from God is greater than a fire. 
A gentle whisper from God is greater than an ocean wave. A gentle whisper from God is greater than the vastness of the solar system. A gentle whisper from God is greater than technology. A gentle whisper from God is greater than entertainment or any political figure. The Bible transcends them all. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. When God is passing by and when you feel experience God, listen, you're not the same. And he was preparing himself for what he, he thought he probably couldn't even uh, stand to look at. God going to pass by? He pulled his cloak over his face. He had reverential fear for God. <laughs> People say, well, I've seen God. <laughs> they lying. You can't see God and live. You know, you, you can only have, handle a smidget of all that Shekinah glory. And if you could be brushing your teeth and see God and keep brushing your teeth, you didn't see God because if you saw him, all your teeth would fall out. You would have nothing to brush. <laughs> Look, when Elijah, verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, oh, here it is again. What are you doing here, Elijah? What a question. Don't let those questions get away from you. What are you doing here, Elijah? In verse 9 and verse 13, the Lord asked Elijah the same question. He's trying to get his attention. When he calls your name twice, he's trying to get your attention. What are you doing here? Who told you to come here? If you are going to have a fruitful life, Christian life, it is critical that you allow the Lord to divinely place you where he is calling you to be. Sadly, some Christians spend too much time in places where God has not ordained them to be. Did y'all get that? I hope you get, let me just say that again, because I, I think your mind may have kind of missed it. If you are going to have a fruitful Christian life, it is critical that you allow the Lord to divinely place you where he is calling you to be. Sadly, some Christians spend too much time in places where God has not ordained them to be, which hinders the work of God and productivity in their spiritual journey. I submit to you today, overstand your time in the wrong place. Overstand your time in the wrong situation. Overstand your time with the wrong mindset can bring on depression. Perhaps God is asking you, what are you doing here? Here referencing your life. Examples. What is the here? What are you doing here? What is the here? The here is needlessly overstaying in the home because of COVID-19 needlessly. There are people who need to stay in and not come out because of their conditions. But that's not everyone. 
What are you doing here? Staying in a sinful relationship that's bringing you down and bringing the worst out of you. I don't care if if it's some kinfolk or whatever. The worse you coming out, then you need to back off. There are certain relationships that, that have brought the worst out of you. Overindulging in your social life, in, in clubs, in certain places. What are you doing there? You say you're a Christian. What, what are you doing in the strip club? What, what, are you, what are you doing on a business trip in a hotel, married, with, doing sexual things with somebody that's not your spouse? What are you doing there in the name of business? Belonging to organizations that God has not called you to be a part of. What are you doing in that organization? Or he's trying to remove you from a certain organization and you have been on staying when God is trying to move you. What are you doing here? And why are you still living so long in your hurtful past? Why are you still there? You've been there for 20 years and you're still there. What are you doing here? Why are you living in the painful hurts of your past? Why are you there? Like the Lord asked Elijah, what are you doing here? He replied, I have been very, in verse verse 14, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the, there he goes again, I'm the only one left. Look how he whined. That's the, the person just whined. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. In other words, you got off track. <laughs> well, you know, God sent him back. Go, go, go back. Go back. Go back the way you came. You're not where you belong. And go to the desert of Damascus. Many pastors even today get depressed when God's people just won't do right, like Elijah was encountering, just won't do right. There are pastors, uh, we, we preach, and they all preach, their hearts out, and some believers just don't want to do any better. They do not see spiritual growth. The shepherds over those congregations, they see people with the same old attitudes, They're still set in their own ways, creating unnecessary issues. They love their traditions. They refuse to change and become so difficult to lead. Like Elijah, many pastors think that they're the only ones dealing with these kinds of challenges in the church that they are shepherding. Often, We feel rejected and dejected. 
If we're not careful, we even allow our emotions to take us out of the will of God. And he has to get our attention and nudge us back on the right path that he has ordained for us. Verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Those who are depressed often feel that no one understands and that they are the only one struggling with that particular issue. You're the only one got that issue in the whole world. Be mindful that God has a remnant even in America. I know it looks bleak here in America when we see the riots and the fires and the political upheavals and, 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 and all the stuff that's about to happen with the Supreme Court and when we see uh, the elections and the games and all of these things happening. To, if it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not fire, it's a hurricane. If it's not hurricane, it's a police shooting the citizens, a citizen shooting police. You see... Republicans against Democrats and Democrats against Republicans. You see hurricanes and all of this. And some of you just want to go like Elijah into your little man cave and hide. Hide. Be mindful that God has a remnant of Christian believers right here in America. And we must not lose sight of that reality. In America, things look very dismal with horrific, senseless shootings, the tremendous racial divide, the political upheaval where evil knows no bounds. God still has a remnant of believers in this nation who knows how to bow the knee to God. God still has a remnant. You may not see them, but they're here. Who knows how to talk to God, speak up for God, and bow the knee to God. There are folk who have bowed a knee in the name of social justice who've never bowed the knee to Jesus. Satan is a master strategist in making you think that no one else is going through what you are going through except you. When Elijah was discouraged and depressed, God encouraged Elijah's faith by saying in verse 18, Now, now, Elijah, settle down, calm down, Give me a holy hush. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He encouraged him. He encouraged his faith. And he assured him that he's not alone. And just because you can't see them at work don't mean they're not at work. Let me just give you about three principles and I'll stop. 
What are God's remedies for depression? What are God's remedies? I'll give you about three or four, and then we'll stop. What are God's remedies for, for depression? You cannot adequately deal with depression unless you have the assurance of your salvation. You cannot adequately deal with depression unless you have the assurance of your salvation. Romans 10, 13 says, For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 15, 5c also says, For without me you can do nothing. The way to be healed from depression is to cry out to God by faith for deliverance. Say, Lord, help my mental, emotional condition. Lord, settle my inner man down. Settle my spirit down. Calm me down. Give me a spiritual perspective, the likes of which I've never had before from the reading of your precious word. Oh God, I believe you. I receive you now as my personal savior. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. I believe that you're coming back again. I believe and know without a doubt that you are God and Lord, and beside you, there is nothing else. Help me in my condition right now, and God will do like only he can do. What are God's remedies for depression? You cannot gain victory over depression until you acknowledge that you are depressed and refuse to live in denial. You cannot gain victory over depression until you acknowledge that you are depressed and refuse to live in denial. Psalms 139.23 says, what a statement. Look deep into my heart, God. When is the last time you told God to do that? There's some things that's going on that I need fixing, Lord. Look deep. Lord, I need you to do some surgery on me. Look deep. When the last time you told God to look deep in you? Look deep into my heart, God, and find out anything I am thinking. What you been thinking? Thinking on the wrong things, low down stuff. Bad stuff, satanic stuff, pornography, whatever it is, will bring you into depression. The psalmist in this verse, you know what? Let me tell you this. The psalmist in this verse got honest with God and himself. And you can't get healed of depression or anything else until you first get transparent and honest with God and yourself. This is the way the healing process begins. Thirdly. Refuse to allow your trials to dominate your thinking. Refuse to allow your trials to dominate your thinking. Learn how to to compartmentalize your issues and then put them back on the shelf. Take them off the shelf, your issues. Whatever that is, take them out. And don't take them all off the shelf at one time. I got 15 things, 15 issues on the shelf. I think I'll take my child that's wayward, and I think I'll take uh, my financial. You take five of them off at one time. Well, you're going to have depression. Okay? Deal with one issue at a time. Compartmentalize the rest. Take them off the shelf. Deal with them. Put them back on. Deal with that one. Put it back on the shelf. And leave it there and don't worry about it. 
Refuse to allow your trials, such as rejection. It hurts to be rejected. Child custody issues. Refuse to allow crises of health. Not being permitted to see your children or your grandchildren. Refuse to allow adultery, betrayal. Refuse to allow unemployment, financial hardship. Refuse to allow a failing score on an exam you really needed to pass. Refuse to allow a troubled marriage, a wayward child, and the death of a precious loved one to consume your life. It will if you let it. My mom and dad both went to be with the Lord in 10 months time. And if I just let it consume me, it would have wiped me out. What kept me going was keeping my eyes on Jesus. Yes, I miss them. Yes, I grieve them. But I recount, son, whatever we go through, we just want you to keep preaching. Keep doing what got you here. Keep ministering to the people. Keep on serving. It's amazing. It's boggling to me that when some people go through problems, the first thing they do is leave the church, stop reading their Bible, hang their harps on a willow, and won't even sing the Lord a song. No wonder you're depressed. No wonder you're depressed. Look to Jesus. Keep trusting him and be patient with yourself. Hebrews 12, 2a says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Maintains a healthy mind. Keeping your mind fixed on Jesus keeps a balanced mind, a whole mind, and it keeps you from succumbing to depression. Last but not the least, dealing with depression means this, being negative, judgmental, scheming, and possessing a controlling spirit will steal your freedom in Christ and usher in depression. This is the last one. Being negative, judgmental, scheming, and possessing a controlling spirit will steal your freedom in Christ and usher in depression. Some folks sit and they judge everything. Well, he split a verb. Well, she's saying off key. Well, the pastor didn't say nothing today. Well, won't you get up here and preach then if it's that easy? You know, they, they, they got something to say about everybody, everything. They're too far apart, too close. Oh, her mask slipped down over her nose just a second. That's it. Judge and jury, controlling spirit. You want to tell everybody what to do. And you don't send anybody to God because you become God. You got to answer for everybody. 
I know what you are. No, you don't know what everybody ought to do. You're not in their body. You're not in their body. Stop being a control freak. Stop scheming. Why are you doing it? Beloved, you have absolutely nothing to gain having a selfish heart attitude. It is absolutely no benefit to anyone else. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditating on the right things keep depression away. When you meditate on good things, on holy things, on right things, you will think well. You will think well. When you meditate on right things, you will think in balance. I've never heard such confused thinking in all my days from people who even have PhDs. When you meditate on right things, Listen, your words as a mother, father, grandparent, as an employee, a boss, or whatever you are, your words will minister to your family, and your words will minister to others, and you are spiritually refreshing to those who are currently in your life. With all the stuff that's going on now, beloved, with, with, with the fires and the hurricanes, and the fighting and the turmoil and the riots and the burnings and the racial divides. I can't call it all. You ought to be saying, Lord, you woke me up this morning. Please, in the name of Jesus, help me to be spiritually refreshing to my wife. Help me be spiritually refreshing to my husband. Help me to refresh my children that's dealing with something none of us can comprehend with this virus. They're trying to understand and put the pieces together. God, help me say something that will help them deal with this crisis. Help me to refresh somebody in church or perhaps somebody in leadership or perhaps it's a child that's walking down the hall. The Word of God says that wisdom and understanding belong to the old, and He commands us to let our lights shine among our children and grandchildren. Truly, it is time for grandparents to rise and shine for Christ in troubling times. By loving and patiently setting the spiritual tone for our families, we can make a difference and change will come. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching or would like to hear this message in its entirety, please visit www.maranathasa.org where you will find an archive of audio messages, service times, directions to the church, upcoming events, and much more. You can also reach us at 210-821-5683. Maranatha Bible Church is located at 7855 East Loop 1604 North in Converse, Texas 78109, directly across from Randolph Air Force Base. 